I'm Justin Lowry, and today we're going to be talking about originality, uh, creative originality, and the journey to it on this episode of Develop and Process. So artistic originality, uh, this is a topic that I feel like doesn't necessarily get addressed enough in in landscape photography and in photography in general. Um, I feel like in today's culture, a lot of what we're primarily concerned about is popularity, not originality. So we tend to judge work uh, based on how many likes it gets on Instagram, how many follows uh, that photographer has. Um, how much engagement metrics they have on social media. And a lot of times um, things like genuine authenticity, artistic originality, just get thrown by the wayside or ignored entirely. And uh, so I wanna talk about that today. Um, now I want to break this down into three segments. The first one is the engineer. The second one is the explorer, and the third one is the artist. These are three steps that I just made up, but I think they're useful for illustrating um, the creative journey. And so uh, the first step is the engineer phase. And um, these all three steps are steps that I personally went through on my artistic journey, my creative journey, if you wanna call it that. And I think they're necessary. Um, that's, that's one really important point I want to stress is that talking about artistic originality, I don't want to make anyone feel like their work is inferior or that they're, that you're not doing something worthwhile if you're not creating original work. Um, that's not my goal at all. Uh, my goal here is to um, kind of share my journey and my struggles with you and in the hopes that it will personally help and benefit you on your own uh, you know, artistic uh, development. So the first step is the engineer. I call it that because it's basically reverse engineering the work of other creatives. And whether you are a photographer, a videographer, you know, a filmmaker, a musician, um, a graphic designer, a web designer, a painter, a sculptor, whatever it is that you do that's creative, um, you probably started out uh, copying other people that you looked up to. And that's totally okay. That's totally normal. That's something that I did extensively. That's something that I think uh, most of us do, if not all of us. And I think it's healthy. It's totally acceptable. Um, I think when you're first starting out, you want to look at the greats of your craft, whatever that craft is. So if you're a filmmaker, you might look at Steven Spielberg's work or Martin Scorsese or something like that. You might look at... Uh, you know, a famous uh, director's uh, movies and you may break them down and reverse engineer them and try and figure out his um, camera angles or her, you know, uh, filming style or whatever color grading methods they use. If you're a photographer, you know, you might look at Ansel Adams if you're a landscape photographer or, you know, maybe you're a street photographer and you look at uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson or you look at uh, um, Sebastiao Salgado. Uh, you might look at Michael Kenna if you're a landscape photographer. Uh, you might look at um, you know, David Munch, uh, you might look at Galen Rowell, you know, um, there's just a lot of different, uh, masters in each genre of art, you know, copying whatever the great work that has been done 
is a really useful way to learn skills. Um, so I don't want to, you know, poo poo that or say that it's just wrong or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, in fact, I also think that that never necessarily fully goes away. And that's also okay because of one very critical thing. Uh, in our artistic development, if we stop growing, we start dying. And so if you've been doing art for, you know, 25, 35 years, um, but you're not experimenting and growing, then yeah, you're going to stagnate and you're going to eventually die, meaning not physical death, but your art is going to die a creative death. And that's not good. So I think, you know, maybe you copy the work of somebody who's much better than you are, even if you have been doing it for 25 years. And that's totally fine. So um, I'm going to walk you through some examples of my own work that I think are from my engineer stage. Uh, the first piece is an image I created in the Alabama Hills. It's a image that I saw on social media, on Instagram specifically, and I think maybe 500px. It was created by uh, Miles Morgan and Ryan Dyer. Uh, they're both on Instagram. They're really good uh, photographers to follow if you're into that sort of um, work. And they created this um, really beautiful image out in the Alabama Hills of this arch. And it has a cacti in the foreground and uh, the night sky or the morning sky in the background. And I went out to Alabama Hills and I tried to copy that composition. I searched all day to find it. Finally found the arch and I was a little disappointed to find that there is no clear view through that arch that was in their photographs. It's physically impossible to make that image. So what they did was, uh, as far as I can tell, is photoshopped out the uh, background from behind the arch to make it look like a clear arch. So I, you know, I went and I photographed it, but I wanted an interesting sky like uh, they had. So I had to photograph the Milky Way, the night sky, and then photograph the light on the foreground in sunrise. So I photographed at 4 and 6 a.m., merged the two exposures together. Um, I also uh, focus stacked and uh, that means I focused the later shot closer to the camera and the earlier shot farther back so the sky would be in focus. Anyway, the image came out really good. It did take me about seven hours of Photoshop to get it to where I wanted it. But at the time I was pretty happy with it because it achieved my goals. I learned a lot about Photoshop techniques, about focus stacking, about exposure blending, patience, scouting locations. And so you can see how that's a very useful creative process. But I do not refer to this image as original. It's not original. It's a copy. It's a knockoff. In the music industry, they call that a cover. And I really think that is a useful term. Um, Guy Tal uh, mentioned using it in photography and he said, you know, only in photography is it considered acceptable to blatantly knock off another artist's work and then claim it as your own. So he was saying that what we should do is um, instead of just posting stuff online and saying, oh, I came up with this new image or just letting people assume that you did, uh, the polite thing to do would be to credit the original or the earliest possible composition that you know of and say, hey, my image is a cover of so-and-so's image. So I did that. Uh, on this image, I credited uh, Miles and Ryan and I said, hey, this is their image. I'm just creating a remix. So the next example I want to show you is I just mentioned Guy Tal. So uh, this image uh, was shot in Death Valley National Park. I had seen this slot canyon in Guy Tal's portfolio. He's uh, a photographer that 
I really like, and I have one of his prints up on the wall here, actually. And he had created this image that was really, um, really strikingly beautiful and had these blue tones and purple tones, and it just really was very different from other Slot Canyon images that I'd seen. The composition was impeccable. It was an amazing image. So I hiked three, I think, different Slot Canyons in Death Valley, and I hiked all the way through them looking for this composition. And I finally, on the third day, found it. And I was absolutely thrilled when I rounded a bend in the slot canyon and found this composition. So I set up the camera and I literally had the guy towel composition on my phone and just lined up the camera to be exactly in the spot where his image was. And then um, I shot it on medium format Fuji Velvia film. And I was really happy with how it turned out because it achieved the goal. Now, for good or for worse, the goal was to copy Guy Tao. So the image is a cover of Guy Tao's photograph. It's not original at all. Uh, I don't claim it to be so. It's a it's a copy. Uh, it's a cover, if you will. It's a remix, and so uh, barely. <laughs> and so it's a it's a great image. I'm really satisfied with it aesthetically, but it's not original. It's not it's not creative art. It's just it's a knockoff of a Guy Tao. But it was useful. I learned about again scouting compositions this time about exposing film in shadows and reciprocity failure and long exposures and all of these useful skills and i got to experience a place that guy Tal had photographed and i was really happy with it so those are two images uh, i'll give you one more an image i shot in zion national park um, you might recognize the composition it's the imlay boulder it's a really famous spot um, I can't pinpoint which artist originally shot this because it's been around for quite a while, but it's another example of an image that I don't claim to be original whatsoever. It's a knockoff. Um, a million photographers have shot this comp, um, but it's one of my favorite images in my portfolio because it's super beautiful and it's a gorgeous scene and it captures the Zion Narrows just perfectly. And I've actually liked it so much I reshot it on large format because I wanted more detail. So I have two versions of this image and I'm very happy with how it came out. I just don't claim it to be original. Um, so, you know, that again, perfectly fine if your image is not original, but I just think that we need to maybe look at that and say, you know, what does this mean? Um, are we okay with it not being original? And um, if so, great. If not, then how can we improve? So that's the engineering stage. Now, the next stage. The next stage is the explorer. And I call this the explorer stage because it's artistic exploration. Basically, after you've gone through the engineer stage, you should now at this point be very familiar with your equipment. In the case of photography, you should know the exposure triangle, aperture, shutter speed, ISO or film speed. Uh, you should know uh, composition. You should know, you know, principles of color balance, contrast, complementary colors. You should understand the color wheel. You should understand how to scout locations. You should understand the ins and outs of your camera, your lenses. You should understand post-processing, development, how to get your artistic vision into reality. So that's what the engineering stage is useful for. The exploration stage is where you kind of take those skills and you try and figure out what it is that you wanna do with them from the point of view of your creative vision. And so what I think, well, at least what for me happened was that I went and started looking at art uh, in books. And I find that art books are an excellent way to kind of expand your horizons beyond social media and see the work of great masters. So 
In my case, one of the great masters was Elliot Porter. Um, another one was Philip Hyde. So I start looking at Elliot Porter's work, Philip Hyde's work, and a little bit of Dave Munch's work. And I especially like Elliot Porter's work because it's really natural, uh, kind of subdued colors, low contrast, but but very emotional. If you are, if you really love nature and you have ever spent any time exploring the American Northeast, uh, Elliot Porter's work captures the soul of that place like nothing else. And I was really gripped by the the tonality of his work. It's very natural. It's very subdued, and it's film. It's all film, obviously. And he shot large format as well. And he was one of the sort of influences for why I shoot large format today. And so was Philip Hyde. And uh, so was Dave Munch. All of these guys shot large format film. So did Ansel Adams, Edward Weston, Brett Weston, and so on. And so I looked and I wanted that aesthetic. But at the time I shot digital. And that's fine. Again, there's, any, there's many routes to the destination when we're talking about creating art. Um, you know what, if you're a painter and you want to use watercolors or oils or acrylics, you know, they're just different tools. And I think digital and film are just different tools. Uh, so you can just pick whichever one is going to work best for your creative vision. So at the time I had digital cameras and I decided to use digital cameras to achieve my creative vision. The best way I could do that was to go and get the VSCO, the Visco presets, the Mastin Labs presets for Adobe Lightroom. And I start using them and trying to emulate film like Fuji Velvia, Kodak Portra, Kodak Ektar, and I try to make images that look like film. That was an aesthetic decision. I wanted those natural kind of subdued organic feeling tones. I knew that that was something I wanted in my work. I also knew that I was tired of the grandiose sort of epic, crazy light and dynamic scenes and uh, stuff I was seeing on social media. And I wanted uh, stuff more like what I was seeing in the books, these really intimate, quiet, peaceful scenes that were serene, relaxing, calm, and really co sort of captured nature with her hair down. And so I started uh, working on creating images that moved in that direction. And so I actually succeeded. I'm very happy with a lot of the images I created using this method. And I did some work in Anza Borrego in the slot canyons and some of that came out really well and I was super happy with it. This image here is one I created using that method and showed it to David Munch and he was, he loved it and actually said I should do a series on it. and. Uh, you know, maybe pitch it to some magazines and galleries. I did this other image right here, which I'm so, so pleased with. Um, it's an image, there was a forest fire near me. I live in California and the forest fire burned down this national forest, which is one of my favorite places to hike. And there was this beautiful grove of trees, uh, of aspen trees that burned down and uh, was totally demolished. But aspens, as you may or may not know, are an organism that grows underground and the whole grove is one organism. And then if you burn down the, all of the surface level trees, the whole organism is still alive and it just springs back to life and it's amazingly beautiful. Um, and it's one of the first trees to recover after a forest fire. So this image, and I also made uh, some other ones, uh, and uh, they were images I created using the presets and you know, they worked super great. I shot them on Micro Four Thirds, which is my favorite digital uh, system. And I used the VSCO presets and I was happy with how those turned out, but I felt like I could do better. So that was the, ex that's some of the exploration stage. Basically I was moving around looking for what I wanted to create. Towards the end of the exploration stage, I moved into medium format and uh, started shooting more stuff. Now notice I said I shot the guy towel image earlier on medium format. 
And uh, yeah, so I was still doing a little bit of reverse engineering during the exploration stage. So they sometimes overlap and sometimes the gray areas in between, they're kind of like fog. They're not really a brick wall. And so as I progressed, I knew I wanted higher quality images. I wanted to be able to print huge. I wanted to print 40 by 50 inches on a wall at like 300, 400, 500 DPI, 700 DPI. I wanted extreme ludicrous mode image quality. And the only way I could achieve that was with large format. And I started seeing images by Ben Horn and Alan Brock and some of the, the videos they were producing of their scans and just showing the insane amount of detail that you could achieve. And lo and behold, the color tones, duh, because they're shooting large format color film, were the tones that I love from, you know, Elliot Porter, Philip Hyde, uh, Dave Munch, all their work. And so I said, hey, you can still do that today. You don't have to shoot digital and fake the film. You can actually shoot real large format color film in the 21st century. And so uh, this was in 2015, 2016, and I was like, okay, well, this is doable. And so I moved in that direction. And then I started creating more and more work. And large format brings with it a lot of limitations. And so I started um, thinking about what I could create best that would play to the strengths of large format. And lo and behold, the intimate scenes that I liked were super well suited to large format because large format really does extremely well with uh, what we call high frequency fractal detail. It's um, like a, a bed of leaves or a forest filled with branches, you know, sort of or high density organic patterns and designs. And so large format film just renders those incredibly well. So I started creating images that played to the strengths of large format and also started documenting some of my favorite locations like Death Valley and Zaborego, Zion National Park, and uh, the Southern California mountains like the San Jacinto Range, the San Bernardino Range, and creating original work. I stopped seeking out icons and started avoiding icons I stopped creating cover images and started creating original images. And there I moved into the artist stage. Now, the artist stage is sort of the sort of the final of the three stages. In the artist stage, now you know what you want to create. You've figured out your artistic vision, you've developed a personal style, you know how to use your tools, and now the only question left is what do I do with them? And so in the artist stage, that's where it gets hard, because if you go to like a Barnes and Noble or Amazon and you look for books about photography or you look for magazines about photography, like 99% of everything you're going to find is focused on gear or it's focused on the famous established locations and compositions. So almost all media is directed at people in the first two stages. Almost nothing is geared towards the third stage. And part of that's because there's not very many people in the third stage, so it wouldn't sell very well. Part of it's because everyone's different, and so something that works for one person in their third stage isn't gonna work for another. But I really feel like there's a vacuum in that area right now where there's definitely a lot of room for exploring that third stage of creativity. And one publication is Brooks Jensen's magazine, Lens Work. I think that does a really good job of exploring the third stage. Um, some YouTube channels that talk a lot about the third stage would be um, The Art of Photography. That's Ted Forbes's channel, and uh, he does a really great job of exploring the work of the masters and 
helping you progress into that through these stages. He doesn't call them those stages, but the principles are there. And so a couple of others, Nick, Nick exposed Nick Mayo. He uh, has a channel. He um, again talks about artistic development and creativity. Matt Day, another guy, great channel talks a lot about making progress in that area. So those are some channels that I found useful. Here's some other ideas uh, to progress. Books, like I mentioned earlier, I really think collecting art books that inspire you is critical in this stage three. And that means work of the masters, like you know um, your Brisson or your Ansel Adams or your Brett Weston or Edward Weston, or you know it could be you know, if you're a nature photographer, it could be Franz Lanning, or it could be Sebastião Salgado, Michael Kenna, Nick Brandt. Um, these are all some really great artists that have inspired me. And um, I started collecting their books and just going, and even going to their exhibitions. That's another huge one. I highly, highly, highly recommend that if you're an artist, go to exhibitions. Because what you need to do is you need to see the work of people that have mastered your craft in person. You cannot I'm going to say this again. You cannot experience great art on the Internet. It doesn't work. You can see a microscopic little pathetic pixelated compressed thumbnail that's optimized for short view times and high click numbers by advertising corporations such as Instagram, which is owned by Facebook or you know, YouTube's owned by Google and so on. Um, they're not interested in you standing there for 20 minutes and looking at a piece of art. And they're also much more concerned with their bandwidth costs than they are with the quality of the art on their platforms. So um, they're not, there's just no way you can experience great art on the internet. You really need to get out there and buy books. That's the cheap way to do it. I recommend libraries, yard sales, used bookstores, stuff like that. Cause yeah, new, they can be really expensive. And then going to exhibitions and shows wherever and whenever possible, because that's really critical. I've gone to a couple of different exhibitions. One was for a friend who's a Leica photographer at the Leica Gallery in West Hollywood, and he did a show. And then another was for Nick Brandt, and he did an exhibition in Beverly Hills, and I went to his, and whoa. I mean, those photographs just blew my mind. I mean, there were some of the best high quality prints I've ever seen in my life. Uh, they were like 120 inches wide and four feet tall from six by seven medium format black and white film. And they were just beautiful images, really soul shaking images. And I just got to see his creative vision being expressed at scale. And I thought it was really mind blowing, really inspiring. So anyway, those are some things that have inspired me on the stage three. Now there's one last thing I want to mention, and that is projects. Um, when you're trying to create original work, one of the best ways to do that is to put your mind in a project mode. So instead of thinking in terms of greatest hits or one-off images, think in terms of themes and projects. Find something you're really passionate about, whether it's a person, a group of people, a location, a subject, a theme, and create a project based on exploring that idea. So for me, uh, I'll give you two examples of projects that I've personally done, and maybe they'll inspire you to come up with something of your own. So the first project uh, is my Mojave Monochrome project. Now this is a project that was born in the Mojave Desert. I was out in Death Valley and I ran out of color film and started shooting black and white because it was the only thing left in my bag and I had this Fuji Acros 100. And I got home and the photographs blew my mind. 
the tonality of the black and white film rendered the sand dunes of the desert in a completely different way than the color images taken on the same morning did. And I said, oh man, like this is, this is a different medium from color and I really need to explore this. So what I decided to do was make it my goal to photograph as many of the dune systems of the Mojave Desert as possible on black and white film. And then what I did was I took all those images and I assembled them into a magazine. Now, if you're familiar with analog photography culture, you've probably heard of zines. And if you're familiar with fine art photography, I'm sure you're familiar with art books, which is what I just mentioned. So the problem with art books, like I said, is they're super expensive and no one can afford them. I mean, half these art books are like 100 to $200 uh, if you buy them brand new. And I think that's amazing because the quality is unreal. But a lot of people can't afford those, and so they never get to experience the work in person. And that really is a problem, like I mentioned, because you can't experience art on the internet very well. So what I decided to do was take the concept of a zine and mix it with the concept of a, um, a book. And I did an eight and a half by 11 book that contains a dozen images and then wrote about 6,000 words of text to go with the images, telling stories and explaining the project and so on, and a little bit of behind the scenes. So that's available uh, right now in my Mojave Monochrome zine. Uh, this is, I call it Salt and Light, that's the series, and then Mojave Monochrome is the issue. And so that's my Mojave Monochrome project. The And I'll put a link in the description where you can order that if you want. The ebook is $7.99 and the physical print version is only $14.99, again, I wanted them to be consumable and affordable for normal, regular people. They're really geared towards everyone. I want you to be inspired by the project and be able to see the work in print because that's what inspired me and so hopefully it'll inspire you. The next project I did was the Zion's Palette project. Now this is a project that is ongoing like the Mojave Monochrome. I do them in installations. So I've already done the first installation of Mojave Monochrome and there's probably gonna be a second one eventually. And the first installment of Zion's Palette is out. Um, and again, it's an eight and a half by 11 soft cover portfolio book, but printed, um, I call it a magazine and I print it using a very high quality magazine printing service because that allows me to keep the cost down and uh, print them on demand for you and ship them straight to your door. And again, that's about getting physical printed art that you can actually live with in your home, in your hands, uh, and that you can actually afford to collect. You don't have to be a wealthy art collector to buy it. And so that's what I did. I used Blurb. Uh, it's a really good, easy service to use. Um, and I'm a graphic designer. I've done graphic design for like 17 years. And so designing magazines is something I do naturally. So I... Uh, created the magazine myself using Adobe InDesign. Um, but anyway, the, um, the next one is in the works that's coming out hopefully soon, but that's a project. So those are two projects that I did and you don't have to make a zine. You can just put it on your website as a portfolio uh, item, you know, as, as a webpage, uh, put the project on your webpage that way. Um, you could release it on Instagram. You know, Instagram is dozen threes. So you could do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's a grid. So you could make a project and then publish it on Instagram as a pre-planned choreographed nine image or 12 image grid, even 18 images, you know, sets of three. So that's another way you could publish a project. Maybe you wanna do a video. You could do video slideshow and talk people through the images like with a voiceover or something. 
But these are ways that you can create images um, that have more meaning than just a one-off greatest hits. Bang, let's see how many likes I get on this photograph. And the most important thing about creating projects is that uh, you are inspired to create original work by the very nature of projects because now you're exploring themes which provokes creativity. It gets you to think about the world in creative ways which naturally comes out in your art. So those are the three stages. <laughs> the engineer, the explorer, and the artist. So hope that's useful to you. Hopefully that helps you make some progress and uh, you know, hits some WD-40 on the gears of your creativity, gets things rolling again. I'm Justin Lowry, and this has been Develop and Process. Thanks for watching, and until next time, stay curious.